It's summer, and as farmers markets are bustling with people and bursting with produce, so does nature show off her most abundant side. How can we include wild foods on our plates? We'll tell you how today. Foraging, edibles outside your front door, is our topic in this hour here on An Organic Conversation, your show on everything that makes life worth living. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. We all have a small patch of nature somewhere in our vicinity. The meadow at the edge of town, a little grove of trees somewhere, or a park nearby. Plenty of the nature we're looking at can be collected and incorporated into our meals. Beyond mushrooms, which might be too difficult to safely identify, there is a world of herbs and other plants, life that we can use. How to do it? We'll speak with an expert on foraging in this hour, foraging wild edibles outside your front door, our focus here on An Organic Conversation today. But before, we're starting off the show with a review of what's happening, Sita. Well, today it's more of a weekly consideration, <laughs> a week's consideration. I read a, a very touching article, actually, a story that talked about the benefit of putting kind of larger rocks into your bird bath. And so the, the author... Into your bird bath? Yeah. Bird bath. Bird bath. The author was talking about, you know, you may have seen this before and assumed that it's decorative, but actually it has a function because bird baths, which can be too deep for some birds, if they get too into the water, if they fall too much into the water, if they get their wings wet, it can be harmful. They can struggle really hard to get out. They can damage their ability to take off and fly. And so the idea behind putting the rocks in the bird bath actually makes it so that it is not quite as deep and prevents bird injury, bird crisis. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't mean to say that and make light of it because actually the, the no, article... It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's actually, it sheds light on it or it brings up a really good point. We do want to invite nature whether that's, you know, the little uh, glue onto your window bird feeder or hummingbird little dispenser, sugar water dispenser, or wh whatever, whatever you do, whatever you have in your home to attract nature closer to you, I think comes from an admiration and total respect and desire to see more wildlife, for example. And yet at the same time, our sweet attempt needs to be considered fairly carefully so that our practice of bringing wildlife closer to our homes doesn't end up in, in distress for the animal. Uh, I remember this warning of not feeding wild animals in Germany as a boy and you know going to the duck pond and of course feeding ducks and it was just part of my upbringing and yet I learned later how much that domesticates animals and how that's bad for their diet and the diseases that come out of that for those animals. So What seems like a really helpful or sweet practice or supportive practice is actually not always supporting the animal or healthy for the animal. There are always opportunities to increase your mindfulness. And a lot of people have gone before you and have <laughs> lots of tips and experience to share to make sure that your choices are as harmless as possible. Yes, but thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. Put rocks in your bird bath so the bird doesn't drown or get their <laughs> wings wet, which I guess then they can't fly and they would fall off the bird bath if they tried. 
Good point. One of many things to just look at and pay attention to, maybe rethink whatever you do to bring nature closer to your home. You're listening to an organic conversation. I am Helga Helberg. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. And our topic in this hour is foraging the fun and safe, when done right, practice of harvesting wild edibles just outside your front door. That and more when we come back in just a minute. Stay tuned. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit earlsorganic.com. Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Abundance around us. This is the time of nature showing off July, August, September, both in the fields as well as in just parks or wherever you may be in nature. And we will spend this hour with an expert on the topic of foraging to navigate that world to maybe help you incorporate just a little bit of wild edibles onto your plates and into your dishes. Wild edibles outside your door, foraging our focus in this hour. But as always, we're starting off with an update from the world of health and beauty. Here's Sita Rani Palomar, a.k.a. Chef Sita, and her holistic bite. Well, today I want to talk about the health benefits of aloe vera. And we had our good friend, Dr. Ed Bowman on the show a couple of weeks back, and he was talking about healthy sun protection. And for a lot of us, and I can say for myself in particular, my introduction to aloe vera was to heal sunburns. My mother kept an aloe plant, and when we had sunburns, she would break off a piece of this really juicy leaf and squeeze out this gel and put it on sunburns and cuts and other kinds of skin maladies, essentially. And I recently wrote an article for our friends at Credo Beauty about all of the reasons why aloe is just so good for our skin. And it has lots of wonderful benefits for your body as well if you decide to take it internally. It has been taken internally for thousands of years in cultures around the world. But today, particularly, I want to talk about its amino acid profile, vitamins and minerals, what makes it so hydrating, how it helps to reduce inflammation, and and generally that it is an antibacterial and antiseptic. So we have eight essential amino acids that our body does not produce. Aloe possesses seven of them. And in terms of vitamins and minerals, aloe has vitamin A, C, and E, which is this trifecta of antioxidants that improve skin quality because they help to combat oxidative stress and also promote cell renewal. And it also has vitamin B in it, a host of B vitamins, which um, promotes healthier hair. And then it has minerals like selenium, which protect against wrinkles, and copper, which promotes skin elasticity. 
aloe has also been shown in medical studies to enhance the body's production of hyaluronic acid, which is a natural lubricant that our bodies produce. So this is extremely hydrating when we put aloe on our skin. It helps our skin hold more moisture. And like I said, it also reduces topical redness and inflammation. And because it's antibacterial and antiseptic, it can prevent occurrences of acne and eczema. So we really are talking about a super botanical. And because we're talking about botanicals today in this episode, I thought it would be great to give some time to the king of botanicals, aloe vera. And that's this week's Holistic Bite. Thank you, Sita, Chef Sita, aka Sita Rani Palomar. Uh, amazing aloe. I used it. I got sunburned just by taking the ferry here in the San Francisco Bay Area. That's I was right. not laying out too long. I was just taking the ferry. I had a meeting outside and I took the ferry back. And so I spent maybe three hours. But because of the water reflecting the sunlight further, I believe, I got completely sunburned. And aloe vera did the trick within just two days or so while it was healing my skin. I mean, sunburns take as long as they take, but aloe made sure that there's no ongoing damage happening. Meanwhile, it heals well and it makes sure the skin is as healthy when you're done with it as it could have been through the process. So it's kind of this totally natural super food for your skin in a way. It's this healing gooey substance amazing well you can <laughs> certainly read more about bit, it on yeah. our site and organicconversation.com and also on credo beauty site credobeauty.com great thank you sita and yes talking about the power of plants we're talking about foraging wild edibles outside your door and with us now is an expert on the topic of foraging and somebody really who loves to go out and search for wild edibles Cami McBride. She's the author of The Herbal Kitchen, and the website is livingawareness.com. She's the founder of the Living Awareness Institute, actually, as an herbalist, an herbal instructor, and so much more. She's joining us today from Vacaville, California. Cami, do we have you on the line? I'm here. Thank you. <laughs> you're, Cammy. You're, you're not out <laughs> harvesting, foraging. Good. Thanks for spending the hour with us. <laughs> and welcome back to the show. We had such a wonderful interview with you. Healing with herbs, the wisdom of ancient remedies has been a, a many times re-aired episode, a fan favorite, one of our personal favorites. And when we wanted to do this topic of foraging, it was really perfect that you just came up as somebody we should have back on. Yeah, I'm so glad that there, that this interest is growing and that the interest in healing plants is really becoming a, really a movement, actually. So many more people interested. I'm really happy to be part of this. What an apropos time, of course. June, July, maybe as early as May, kind of the, the season of sustainable agriculture at least starts. And then all the way into September and October, just to kick it off with the seasonality, I'm surprised you're actually available for an interview and you're not out foraging. <laughs> but is this the key time or would you say that really foraging can be done year round? You know, I think it really just depends on where you live. That's really a big factor. In some places, you know, I live in Northern California, and I forage year-round. I mean, I really do. There are some amazing edible medicinal weeds that I can gather every month of the year. But it, again, it just really, if you're in a colder climate, sure. that's not true. And under snow, so, it's, it's possible, but I'm yeah. sure it's much, much, much more <laughs> tricky to do so. But this is really the time. If somebody was to listen to this episode and wanted to go out in the next few days or next couple of weeks to 
start somewhere with some easy to identifyable plants. Hopefully this hour will provide the foundation for that. But I want to start off with the conversation that already began between you and Sita. The world has really taken a remarkable leap forward when it comes to eco-literacy and food awareness and our resourcefulness and how to use cuttings and leftovers. And there's just an entire new relationship to food. And this wave of food awareness and mindfulness is taking us back to our roots, really, uh, backyard gardening and, of course, the practice of foraging. It's amazing to me when I walk through the neighborhood this time of year, July, August, September, and I see trees where ripe fruit is literally falling onto the street and being wasted. While I know that, you know, in cities like San Francisco, this food could be feeding people who are hungry that night. So there is almost a responsibility, I feel, besides the fun and the pleasure of, of just going out and, and harvesting things in the wild, but there's almost a responsibility of not letting everything just go to waste that nature is literally just throwing at us or throwing down on us. Can you talk about the world of food foraging? Why do you love it and what does it really mean? Well, for me, you know, I've, I've really, for my entire adult life, I've been gathering up information and putting together this body of knowledge to really create this, what I call the home wellness revolution, people really being able to care for that. themselves and not being reliant on over-the-counter medications. I mean, if you need drugs, sometimes, okay, that's okay. But, you know, it's not that many generations ago. Maybe it's our grandmother. Maybe it's your great-grandmother. Maybe it's your great-great-grandmother that there was someone in your home that knew how to take care of the family, how to prevent illness, how to use seasonal foods mm -hmm. to um, help prepare you for the wellness of the following season, how to feed your family and take care of your family on a budget. I mean, wild foods are free. <laughs> and so it really is about the reclamation and the revival of a home art that involves connecting with our bodies, connecting with the earth, connecting with the plants, and bringing all that together back in the home as an art, a home art, a home craft, because that is where your children and your, you know, the people younger than you grow up learning how to take care of themselves. I mean, I've been practicing and teaching for 20, I've been teaching herbal medicine for 27 years, and the lack of body literacy right now, and the lack of literacy around cooking among young people, and you're supposed to just all of a sudden grow up and then know how to take care of yourself. It's only if it's practiced in the home, you know, how to use healing plants, how to really cook and use foods to take care of yourself. So for me, it's really just one piece of this overall movement that's happening of, you know, reclaiming this home art. I love that, actually. And you were saying wild foods are free and they do take a big resource that is scarce, it seems, for most people, which is time. You save the dollar, but you do need to invest a little bit of time. And that's usually the trade, right? Do you want convenience where everything comes from the store in just a second and you pay for that convenience? And if you go into prepared foods, it's even more expensive. Or can you go back to the origin, leave the dollar at home, invest a little bit of time and and harvest your own. I love your, your summary. And yeah, let's hope that that food awareness or home wellness movement, really what it's all about, keeps growing. Already, I feel like I'm having a cup of tea with a friend that I've been dying to catch up with for a long time. Because when you when you're here, I feel like there's a part of me that wakens up. That's just the natural herbalist or the the birthright of relationship to nature and bringing that into family is it's awakened. And 
you know, as a chef, this has been an interesting topic about food foraging because I know a lot of chefs who go out and find wonderful wild edibles that they bring into their restaurants and even a chef in San Francisco who one of his specialties was mushroom foraging. But that is an area that I have never dared tread because mushrooms, they can be extremely dangerous. So you have to know how to forage them safely. And there are ways to safely forage. And I'm hoping that you can talk us through that a bit. I know the world of weeds and herbs in particular is something that you do a fair amount of and letting us know how you can do it safely and whether, you know, foraging for weeds can ever be dangerous. That's a great question. You know, I love what you said. It, actually, my great-grandparents were mushroom foragers, and my grandfather used to harvest wild mushrooms and sell them to pay his college tuition. Wow. Really? <laughs> um, so it is possible, but it's something that, you know how the things you learned as a child stick with you? Mm-hmm. It, this, a lot of this art is about being mentored. Mm-hmm. You know, we are a quick-click culture. It's like, oh, I looked it up on the men- Internet. I know how to do it. This is something that it's really important to be mentored in. You need to have one. 125% accurate identification of your plants, period. You need to know what they are without a doubt. It's not like, oh, I just saw that picture. I think this is what I'm picking. No, you need to have someone show you the plant. And so wherever you live, I guarantee there is one person in your town or your city that knows the wild local plants. Even if you have to go seek out an old timer, you, if you start asking, you will find that person because really the best way is to be shown. I mean, even you can look at 100 books in a picture. I posted a blog post recently about mallow, and I had people sending me pictures saying, is this it? Is this Mm -hmm. it? And I couldn't believe (laughs) what people were sending back. And so I do not recommend starting to forage by looking at a book, looking for a mentor, somebody. That's the old way. I mean, we, it's a new thing to think we can just look something up in a book. We we have it in us to be mentored, to have somebody Mm -hmm. lovingly, lovingly show us this relationship with the plants that you're talking about, this inheritance of what it really means to be human on this planet. We've always had a relationship with the plants. It's a little bit broken right now, but like what you were saying is you can feel it. And that's, you know, in all my years of teaching, so many people say that to me. My students say, God, I didn't even really know what it was that was missing. But now I know, I know that having the plants on my side and really understanding the plants is just part of what it means to be human and to to run a household. So safety, 100% even more accuracy. Have somebody show you. You know, I was raised in an area where there were a lot of old women that would go out and gather the mustard greens early spring. None of the young people did it. Not my parents didn't do it. But you see these old old women out in the field every spring. People are like, "What are they doing now?" People are remembering. Oh yeah, that's important. Well, in terms of safety, of course, you're looking on the internet or in a book at a two-dimensional image, and you're not seeing the plants that are around that plant, which it's one of the determining factors, seeing the vegetation around it or what it feels like or really looks like or what the underside looks. I mean, it's there's a limit to a two-dimensional image, but what you're really reflecting for us here is the the limit of the internet and the limit of books. What you're reflecting is the need or desire. It's really a human need for connection. I think we're, yeah. we're just beginning to understand that the connection that is suggested through social media, for example, has its limits. It's there, but it's only there in a, in a very 
um, limited capacity. And the connection, of course, it, it doesn't go as far as human connection or connection to nature or connection to human and nature at the same time, a mentor. So it's really, it sounds like foraging for you is this nature awareness that's as important of the harvest, whether or not you bring anything edible back as the actual wild edibles that you might be able to forage just being in nature with a, with a mentor and, and seeing we we might not harvest anything today, but this is what could be eaten. And I'm going to show you. So there's the safety to maybe an elder or at least a mentor. And there's the safety of what is being taught within your physical environment of, of nature itself. Yeah, that, that, you know, deep nature connection. And also, you can't smell through a book. <laughs> you know, you can look at that plant, but the plants, the way they attract, one of the amazing ways they attract is through and when I see, you know, when my students will say, oh, I can't remember, I can't, what's the name of that plant, what's the name of that plant? And I say, okay, stop, what do you need to do? Get down on your knees, smell the plant. And then they smell it and they go, oh, yeah, <laughs> I remember what that is. And so one of the ways that you learn the plant is really by indexing it through your senses. You have to index through taste, if it's taste, you know, you don't start out tasting, but you, it's like, what's the texture, what's the color, what's the smell? The smell goes beyond everything. Even when you can no longer remember the name or what it's for, you remember the plant through the sense of smell. And we have lost that, you know, our sense of smell and a lot of our sensory awarenesses. And yeah, I think part of this movement is that people... I mean, we know where we are in terms of the planet. We don't need to talk about that right now. We know we're on the brink of a lot of things right now. And we know we're supposed to live with seven generations in mind. But how do we do that if you weren't raised that way? If you don't find a way to forge a deep connection and feel deeply related to the earth and in love with the earth and the plants, how are we going to do what needs to be done? And I, I really feel that it's through this through connecting and falling back in love with the plants around us, that's going to help take us forward. And that's what I really work on. I mean, I, you know, sure, this plant's for that and this plant's for that, but let's stop, slow down, and remember that our plants are our teachers, they're our relatives, and that, you know, we're on this planet together. And that's, of course, Cammie McBride, if you haven't figured that out by now, <laughs> who's the author of The Herbal Kitchen and a guest that we re-invited after an amazing show a couple of years back, who's joining us today from Vacaville. She is the founder of the Living Awareness Institute, an herbalist and herbal instructor, and again, the author of an amazing book, The Herbal Kitchen. In this hour of an organic conversation on foraging wild edibles outside your front door, Cami, we'll take a quick break, but we'll be right back. So please stay on the line. This is an organic conversation, yeah. and I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And we'll be right back with more. Stay tuned. Are you interested in making healthy food your profession? Bowman College is a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Their professional training programs prepare individuals for successful careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Study at one of four locations in California and Colorado or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. Find out more about their classes on holistic nutrition and culinary arts at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. Produce is ever-changing, seasons coming and going. At Earl's Organic, we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. 
Since 1988, Earl's Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons, so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And with us on the phone from Vacaville, California, Northern California, is Cami McBride, the author of The Herbal Kitchen, livingawareness.com, her website. She's the founder of the Living Awareness Institute on this hour on foraging wild edibles outside your front door. Cami, I have a quick question. So just to clarify that, before the break, you said, of course, with mushrooms, you do want to absolutely know what you're doing. But even when it comes to other edibles, there are uh, weeds or plants, you absolutely want to know what you're doing. You're saying not just mushrooms, there are other things that can be toxic or really upset your digestive system or stomach when you eat them, when you harvest them incorrectly. Is that correct? It's not just that, the that's mushroom world. Correct. That's why, you know, I say 125% accurate identification. Yes. That's why I say get a mentor because Great. people die every year from picking and eating the wrong thing. That happens sure. every year in this, in this country. So, yeah, there are toxic plants out there. You, you don't just jump in a car and start driving. You have somebody show you a little bit how to do it first. Sure. You know, well, let's, the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's talk about some of the non-toxic plants. What is even possible out there to forage? I heard you mention one, you said mallow, was something that you've talked about. In mustard people, greens. And mustard greens, yes, exactly. What can be foraged? Okay, where I love to start is with the most common where that grows, you know, in the crack on the step outside your front door or in the crack in the sidewalk or the, the, the weeds that are busting up the asphalt, although that's not where you want to harvest them. You definitely want to harvest them away from cars and pollution. But my favorite weed to forage is dandelion. It grows everywhere. It's something that a lot of people, ha you know, they have an awareness of what it is because maybe they've been spraying pesticides on it to try to get it out of their lawn. I think that's a little bit of a statement. Uh, you know, it's like here's this amazing healing weed growing all around us, and we pull it out and poison it and, and don't even know that it's kind of the best thing, better than any vegetable in our refrigerator. So the first thing I start with is very, very simple. 1A is dandelion. And with dandelion, you pick those leaves and in many places you can pick the leaves all year round and they're very bitter and what they do is they really help you to digest your food and they stimulate digestion but they, they are bitter and many people were not raised with the bitter flavor in their diet and so I have a whole blog on my website of how to get dandelion into your non-compliant family members meal but what you want to do is mince it mince it like you would parsley or chives or into the smallest pieces possible and use it as a garnish you know just kind of sneak it into even something that's cooked or are added on fresh like you would parsley or chives and just start using it as a garnish so that people can start to develop that taste for bitters but dandelion greens they are everywhere. They're very high in beta-carotene. They're the highest known vegetable source of vitamin A, the precursor to vitamin A. So we know that vitamin A is an amazing antioxidant, really good for the eyes. You know, it's high in vitamin A, high in vitamin C, B vitamins. It's a, it's a nutrient-dense, mineral-rich food. I think somehow it's in our psyche that the produce aisle at the grocery store where we know it's safe, it's a different species or plant than the dandelion that you get outside. And while it might be, you know, a different variety, 
it is still dandelion. So the classic meadow that is unsprayed somewhere in the wild, that is dandelion that you would usually spend four or five, six dollars for at a grocery store that you could just harvest in 10 minutes yourself. It's true. And sometimes the reason why it's so different in the grocery store is because they plant it in a nice fluffy bed and give it water every day. But the dandelion that's growing out in the wild, you know, it's not grown with such care, and it'll grow without even water. And so sometimes it'll be really, really small, but depending on how much water it gets. But yeah, sure. you know, and in many grocery stores, you can't get dandelion, but it's, you know, it's just the, it's the, the weed. That's a, it's a superfood. People are really into superfoods and super green this. <laughs> it's Your true. dandelion is as good as any expensive powder, green powder <laughs> that you're going to buy anywhere. <laughs> and I love your suggestion to mince it. That's a great one. So tell us about some other ones. So we've talked, you mentioned mustard greens, you've mentioned dandelion greens. What else is out there that you really like to forage? Okay, I love mallow, malva neglecta, or it's sometimes called cheese wheel, cheese weed, and it is it is a weed that it grows in ditches and animal pastures and the edge of the field. It, it really grows anywhere. It's just a very very common weed, um, and have someone show it to you. And it is another superfood. It's very high in minerals, and it's um, really it's one of these foods. It's very anti-inflammatory. It has a mucilaginous quality to it, and it kind of like okra. Uh, or there, we have very we don't have enough mucilaginous foods in our diet, and mucilaginous foods are really important because they help to soothe, cool, and heal the gastrointestinal lining. And one out of every three Americans has some sort of gastrointestinal disease inflammation. So we need foods that help to cool and soothe and heal our gastrointestinal tract. And mallow is one of those foods that has a slightly mucilaginous quality to it, and it's very soothing and cooling and healing to the entire digestive tract. It, you know, we consider it a tonic. It's an amazing food. And you can just pick the leaves. Again, I'm really big on mincing. Everybody kind of garnishes. We do the garnish with the uh, chive and sour cream potato thing. But (laughs) think of adding some kind of fresh herbal garnish to every meal to help you digest your meal. And so mallow and dandelion are two great herbs to mince and just have on the table to garnish. Now, you can also dry both of those leaves. Just bring them in the house, dry them, hang them up or put them on a screen and dry them. And then you can powder them yourself and just add them to your smoothies, your green drinks, or sprinkle on top of your salads. And you will be adding a whole other level of nutritional density to your meal. So you brought up something just listing where to harvest that that you touched on before. When you go out, of course, you want to find an area that you know has not been sprayed by city or park services with any pesticide or lawn care materials, lawn care, quote unquote, materials, ideally really in the wild, to some degree where you know very little impact has been made by humans, at least no materials have been applied. Also, stay away from streets and kind of run off water, even rainwater from the roads that can come in. You mentioned now an animal field. Would you you harvest anything from a field that has livestock on it if you are careful with cow manure for example like how can you make sure that your the food you're harvesting is pathogen free yeah i mean that's it depends on how the animals are kept i mean if there's too many animals on on a small patch and it's just that doesn't work. But if you have large, you know, and the animals have enough space and your plants aren't just sitting in manure, that's fine. One of the questions that my students always ask me when I teach them, like, how to make tea is they say, well, what kind of water do I use? 
And I always have to go through this whole thing about how there's hardly any clean, you know, nobody has clean water anymore, and you have to do the best you can. And it's kind of the same thing. It's like do the best you can. I mean, it's not everybody has access to the wild. And get as far away as you can from the grass runoff and the street runoff and everything. But if you, you know, live in the middle of the city and you have a little patch or a little garden that you love, even though, you know, you're surrounded by city pollution, I would say you love that piece of land. You, you could go there. You could do that. But, again, you want to try to stay away from the pollution and do the very best you yeah, can. Yeah, don't harvest next to an airport. In return, once you find something edible and it's in a good environment, how in return can we make sure we can harvest without actually harming the environment? Like, is there kind of a technique? I know usually it's like, you know, take three or four leaves, but don't take the whole plant because you want to come back. Is that kind of the, the golden rule for you? The golden rule for me is that I have an awareness of how much of that plant is around mm -hmm. and what that plant is. So for me, there is no such thing as really over-harvesting dandelion. There's just, there's just not. What I like to do is teach the weed, the really abundant, overgrown weeds that it's okay. <laughs> But there is this way of like if you're wild foraging, You want to stop, and you, you don't take the biggest thing. You don't take the first thing, and you stop, and you ask, and you tune in, and you look. You take time to see, well, how much of this is growing? Is it abundant just where I am, or is it abundant in the whole area, or is this the only patch for miles around? You know, there's a level of ecological awareness that you need to have about the place that you're doing your foraging. That's really helpful to know that, because I think that as we're considering how to do it safely and how to enjoy it, We also need to be mindful about how we take it from the earth. And before we move on any further down that line, I just want to give you an opportunity to share any additional favorites that you love to forage. Okay, I love to forage purslane. Do you know purslane? Mm, yes. It's in some of the markets now, but it is a weed, and it loves sun. And, you know, you'll go, I'll go to a farm, and they'll just have mounds of purslane that they've pulled out as a weed that's just driving them crazy. It is so invasive and spreads, but I love purslane. And this plant, it just spreads. It grows wild. It grows crazy. You can't overharvest it. And it's full of essential fatty acids and B vitamins. It also has that that mucilaginous quality that I talked about. So it's a digestive tonic. It's a digestive aid. It's a brain food. And it's the best vegetable of anything in the supermarket. When I go pick it out of somebody's backyard and I bring it in, I go, okay, this is better than anything you've got in your refrigerator. Let's eat this. <laughs> I love doing that. <laughs> and it's funny. Purslane is one of those examples of a crop that is a wheat and yet it has now become hip or modern or really being recognized for its health benefits and for its flavor if it's prepared well, just like purslane and nasturtiums. I remember nasturtiums, nobody paid attention to them over the last 20 years, really. And now you can buy them at the farmer's market and you can get, you know, it's like the alternative to a little grape leaf. There's now nasturtium salads, even though it is a invasive weed, it's definitely a, a weed that spreads quickly and grows quickly and that farmers now harvest and bring to the farmer's market. It's amazing to see how the awareness around those wild edibles and wild weeds 
are entering our, our culinary world and the awareness is changing around that. Are you seeing that too? Oh, very much so. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm seeing purslane at the market, nasturtium at the market. I mean, especially when you get something like purslane that's high in vitamin A, vitamin C, essential fatty acids, and B vitamins, and you just start eating more of these. You know, when the, the healthier you eat, the better you feel, and the more you want that. Well, and I think it's the context that really informs the way people have been doing it lately. If they see dandelion greens or mustard greens at the grocery store or if they or see the purslane. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It gives them some context that this is inedible. Whereas when they're out in the wild, they don't necessarily think that because there are a lot of things in the wild that aren't edible, whereas everything at your grocery store in your produce department is. So it's the context that's really setting setting this up for people. And, and I remember I had seen purslane show up on a lot of restaurant menus in New York about 10 years ago. And 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 the tips that you've been putting into your conversation about mincing them and developing a taste for the bitters, I think are really helpful in getting people to try new things and incorporate into their diets. And I think purslane is something that has been sautéed and wilted. The other thing I love to do with, you know, with the mallow, the purslane, the dandelion, the the plantain, all of it is sauté it or steam it with other greens. So especially if you're new to this or if you're really into it and not every but you live with is into it, which is very common. You you want to mix it in with your chard and your kale and your other veggies, you know, or your stir fry. You can just throw it in your stir fry and mix it in with other things so that it's not, you know, so, so especially if it's a new thing. Sure. Love it. How can we use this knowledge to empower society? How will our ecosystem benefit and, and what's needed? Oh, I love that question. So, you know, my website is livingawareness.com, and the course that I'm creating right now is called Herbal Kitchen Remedy Solutions, and it's really about a home wellness movement where we connect deeply with our bodies, we connect with the earth, and then how do we, through that relationship, how do we remember really how to take care of ourselves? How do we teach our children and raise, raise our children in a, in a home where wellness is a consideration where what we eat, how we eat, how we harvest, how we use our spice rack is part of what we teach our children and what is important for us as a culture. I'm very, very interested in the revival of herbal medicine and herbal use in the home to recreate this home wellness movement where we can become more empowered and less reliant on all the messages that are coming to us all the time about what we should eat and what drug we should take. And that's not going to stop. All that whole world is not going to stop. But what we can do is continue to build and accumulate our knowledge about our bodies and our relationship with the earth and the plants and fortify ourselves with that. I love that so much. And and the opportunity for us to, in our education and practice and experience, become mentors for another generation. And uh, something that, (laughs) (laughs) well, that is such a strong statement that I take away from this interview. And something that I took away from our, our previous interview with you, the one on the healing power of herbs and the wisdom of ancient remedies, was a story you told about, you know, when you, when you collect your herb and whatever it happens to be, or your flower, I think in this case, you were talking about rose petals and you use it to make a tea and you leave it on the stovetop throughout the day and you and your family are drinking this tea and then at the end of the day whatever is left you pour into the bathtub and it just it had such a completeness to it the way that you allow yourself to benefit completely and the way that you're teaching these practices to your family and I look forward to being able to share all of this with my young nieces and nephews because there is something really empowering and really connective when you live this way. 
So thank you so much. Pleasure to have you, and um, you may go now and and go to the <laughs> to <laughs> the to, wild and forage. I love talking with you guys. I, mean, <laughs> I know that's what you really want to do, but thanks for spending the hour with us. Lovely to have you, and we'll have you back soon. Thank you, and thank thanks you for so all your work. Yeah, thank you too. Take care. Bye, Cami. That's Cami McBride again, the author of the Herbal Kitchen livingawareness.com her website and um, yeah amazing woman amazing work who joined us today from Vacaville California in this hour on foraging wild edibles outside your front door and in a way so much more than that and um, so much more is coming up we're shifting to the world of sustainable agriculture and organic produce yummy yummy fruits and vegetables here is Earl Herrick and what's in season Good day, everybody. How you doing? Woo-hoo! <laughs> yeah, don't even wait for the music anymore. No. <laughs> He's such a cowboy. <laughs> Why wait? Speak over it. Wonderful. It's the wild west. Do you know how much it takes to cue this all up and then destroy it? But that's fine. And that's, of course, the voice of the San Francisco produce market, Mr. Organic. Mr. Earl Herrick giving us the update from directly from the produce dock, literally walking it right now with your headset and looking at an amazing abundance, I'm sure. July, August, September, the three biggest months for local production, the more local it barely gets throughout the year. What is happening, Earl? As you say, walking the market. What a fascinating time of year. And, and one of the things that gets overlooked because not every place in the market is going to carry this, and that is the variety of peppers that are out there now. When I first started walking the market in the 80s, there was only, you could only find them in one particular vendor. They'd have a couple boxes, and maybe it was a, a Serrano or a Jalapeno. Now they're all over the place. It is obviously, as we know, it's been really integrated way past you know, just a, an Asian or a Mexican cuisine. Uh, this time of year, people do exquisite grilling and, and, and all sorts of fresh application. Peppers are one of those items that you sustain a career all by itself. The varieties are endless. They're global. Really, there's, there's hundreds and hundreds of varieties. So, um, so when you talk about peppers, you don't talk about bell peppers. You talk about the entire world of peppers that are coming in now. Yes. You know, we're, we're very familiar with the bell pepper, the sweet bell pepper. It's generally uh, red or green, and, and sometimes we get an orange and a yellow, and, and even purple ones. But yet we're going to explore, or at least touch on briefly, the, the other varieties. And again, I don't pretend to be an expert there. It is an endless, but, you know, we can talk about some of them, uh, the, the different wonderful shapes and, and the different temperatures. And again, the usage is, is almost... It's endless. And it sounds um, like it's almost like a, it's, it's comparable really to a corn or maybe even better because corn is not really grown in hundreds of varieties here, but more like a tomato, right? The world of, of yeah. peppers is really as diverse as tomatoes. Yeah, and it's really supported by the, the seed industry. There, You can find endless amounts of seeds that obviously will will yield uh, the peppers that you're looking for, and and they grow pretty easily. Sure. Uh, I was I, I have a little padrone plant out there in, in my garden. Actually, I, I just I picked it about a week ago, and you know they're they're great fun. They they don't take a lot of maintenance, and and it yields this wonderful. You just go right out there, and, and there it is. 
We were talking about spicy peppers, and I was thinking jalapeno and and serrano as being the main two and the two that you started with. But now I'm realizing, oh, we're yeah. talking about padrones. We're talking about Anaheim. We're talking about yeah. pasilla. We're talking about all of the ones that we can get fresh that are usually or frequently later dried because of their heat index. And padrones, I mean, I don't have a plant, but I do like to buy them in the clamshells when they come in. And it, it's inevitable. One in every box is a bomb. I mean, it is so spicy. And I, I love that actually about Padrones. It's you one always of those, give those spicy I, ones I to know, me. Well, you don't know which one it is before. But what's what's really beautiful about Padrones, it's kind of the trickster energy for me. It, it reminds us, you know, life. There's a, it's like being, you know, when you draw the fool's card in Tarot or whatever. Just in society, what is the trickster? What's the joker? Padrone peppers now really hip and many, you know, farm to table restaurants feature them just kind of charcoaled a little bit with some sea salt and some olive oil and yes one out of ten one out of twelve one one out of eight whatever is so spicy the other ones are really more like a really yummy vegetable and then all of a sudden it's (laughs) i mean i i don't do well with spice and that really knocks me out so you already have eaten four or five or six you don't think it's coming and then boom there it is i love that in a way i have had this this, Trickster. This was tough <laughs> when I when I was a um, a personal chef and I would cook when you stuffed were person. peppers. No, personal yeah. chef. I would cook <laughs> stuffed peppers for my clients, and um, I used to do stuffed Anaheim peppers because I just really like the flavor, and they're they're long, and sometimes you can get them wide, and they're nice for for stuffing. And so I I had one, and I had already delivered all of the ones to my clients. I had one; it was so spicy, I could not make it through the pepper, and I was so worried that I had just delivered all of these Anaheim peppers that nobody could eat. And I called my clients, and she, one of my clients said, "No, I just had it. It was fantastic. It was really mild. It was." sweet and and these are ones that I got from the same market at the same time so I mean Earl how much variety do you have in spiciness on let's say from one particular farm or from one particular plant it's amazing. Uh, I don't know if there's a way really to, to say. Going back to the padrone, what I've discovered is a smaller padrone is generally, again, it's a jester, generally the smaller ones are less apt to be hot. As they grow as they grow a little longer, they, Develop the occasional heat. one might be a little more warm. Uh-huh. Don't really know for sure. You know, when you, when you talk about, like, the, um, the gypsy pepper, there's so many of them that are that long, tapered one, and they have such great names. One of my favorites is called the Corno de Toro, and which you know, is the, uh, you know, the horn of the bull, and it's a sweet, crisp, full-bodied, many times red. And, and, and what's so wonderful, too, the same pepper, the same family can have different colorations depending upon when they're picked and when, you know, when they're harvested. Generally mature, many peppers are going to be red. But some are mature when they're, when they're yellow. Some are green-yellow, and, and some, of course, can be green. Another one that's a favorite of mine is the, the pimento, which can come in lots of different shapes and sizes, but the ones I'm familiar with are, are squat and kind of ruffled. And what's interesting about the pimento, that's where we get paprika. Ah, and that's nice. a very sweet. Right. And those, the walls on those uh, uh, pimentos generally are very, very thick. And that's the other variation you get. Some are very thin-walled, some are very thick. 
fascinating stuff. So where do you get those early? Like, in, I mean, this is the Bay Area, San Francisco, where the show's being produced. And, you know, we have a really, really strong eco-literacy level and awareness around food. And many specialty shops, even kind of small, you know, Hispanic stores in the Mission District in San Francisco that feature varieties that I've never heard of. But really, throughout the country, uh, this show is listened to in actually in uh, over 100 countries around the world. But where would you find that from mm -hmm. more at the farmer's market or do retailers at least throughout the country as far as you know feature them now this is the time and can you yeah. really find them everywhere what's the best way yeah well again it, a lot of it has to do with how uh, what the culture is in either the neighborhood or the metropolitan area in your region and 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 the growers really pick and choose what they want to do one grower i was talking to a couple weeks ago That particular grower invested in about a half a dozen ones, which were all new to me. Sure. I'm going to name a couple. One's called a Shishitu. Oh, How about yeah. that one? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard of that. You oh, know yeah. that one? Yeah. yeah that that one's the good. Hungarian wax, the no, Bulgarian pepper, the ahi crystal. Oh, yeah. And they all have their different characteristics, and, and one, the ahi crystal, is almost white. It's a very, very light, light green, as kind of a little bit smaller than a jalapeno, and it is very hot. That's called the ahi crystal. So to answer your question, more and more they are available in retailers as we become more sophisticated and also as departments are listening to their clientele. But the best choice, I always think, is a farmer's market this time of year. Sure. Growers are going to maybe put in one half a row of a variety of peppers, and they're going to harvest them and bring them to market, and they'll be around for a couple of weeks. So the risk is very low that they're not going to be able to sell them, but bringing that huge variety to a farmer's market is, is really what's expected now. And to be able to sell them for $1.99 or $2.99, whatever they do, sure. it, it's a pretty painless affair to, to buy one and it costs you a quarter. Mm. Love that. Mm -hmm. you, you were mentioning um, a few weeks back that you know in the 70s and 80s, produce was grown mainly for storage and shipping and how it would behave. And now we have this whole yeah. renaissance of flavor. And of course, peppers lead the way with that, tomatoes yeah. and a few other items. But the, the diversity and variety so check them out just buy 10 different kinds gr grill them all the same way and just do a taste test and just mm -hmm. make sure you remember which one was what because otherwise you need to start all <laughs> well, over you know, again one of, one of my favorite things is <laughs> is to cut them cross section with with the interior out the seeds so you really only have this this little circle or or different shape and you also get the shape that circle of at one point you forget what it is and then you get to taste it just a real thin circle in your salad or even by itself with a little bit of olive oil and salt you know different varieties maybe with a real thin slice of radish and some really thin slice of heirloom tomato Fantastic. Oh my gosh, that Great. sounds so good. And of course, the seeds are where the heat is usually. So if you yes. if you like it spicy, keep some seeds in your salad. If you don't like it too spicy, just try one seed and be careful. You'll know right away. And otherwise, you know, scrape them out and just use the meat. Thank you, Earl. So wow. fun. Peppers. Wow. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, this, this you know, when they say it's the spice of life, it really is. Hold a whole other character to your salad. Yes. Sure will. Great. Thank you so much, Thanks. Earl. Thanks. We'll right. have you back next week. Great. Looking Ta forward to great it. Great talking to you. Bye. Take care. Bye.
<laughs> oh my gosh, that is so. I can I can almost taste that flavor of like fire roasted peppers right now. And it's interesting because it's, this is you know July August. The sun is the hottest supposedly, and you can feel the fire of life sure. and the fire of the sun. Maybe you know more directly in peppers than in any other piece of produce because of that hot spiciness. Yeah. I mean, it literally creates body heat and it's so healthy for you and it makes you sweat, which cools you down and uh, such a good item. Love it. I know. <laughs> I, I want to go home and, and make and maybe some you can stuffed peppers. find them in the wild. Maybe you can, maybe you can't, but <laughs> you can find a lot of varieties at the farmer's market and more and more you can find good varieties at your local at your local store, your local exactly. grocery store. Extend your foraging to uh, your farmer's market. <laughs> Bring some money for that. But <laughs> That wraps up a lovely hour on foraging and peppers, because that's what's in season, foraging as well. Find your herbs and then buy your peppers and whoop Make it all up. Make a delicious meal. So Thanks fun. for tuning in to this week's edition of An Organic Conversation. We'll, we'll see you next, next week. week. An Organic Conversation is a proud production of the Organic Media Network. Associate producer, Kristen Ponger. This show would not be possible without the ongoing support from our listeners. Whether it's a dollar a month or a one-time donation, please consider becoming a patron of An Organic Conversation. For more information on how to support this program, please visit patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash An Organic Conversation. Thank you for your contribution. An Organic Conversation is made possible through listeners like you and the fantastic support of our underwriters. Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor providing certified organic fruits and vegetables for your store, home, or business since 1988. The website is earlsorganic.com. And also Fry Vineyards, America's first certified organic winery, producing organic and certified biodynamic wine. For more information, frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. Thank you as well to Bowman College, focused on holistic nutrition and culinary arts for over 20 years. Bowman College offers professional training programs that prepare individuals for careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Their website is bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to iTunes or anorganicconversation.com. And for more information, health tips, recipes, and your daily dose of inspiration, please follow us on facebook.com forward slash anorganicconversation. We are your hosts, Helga Helber and Sitarani Palomar. And we'll be back right here, same place, same time, next week. See you then. Bye. <laughs>